Uh, are you guys ready to start? Yeah, sure. don't wait to clap. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't do that anymore, just because like. I just edit it so intensively anyway that I'll just end up manually aligning things. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to actually, so a little curveball, I'm going to slow my recording down when I send it to you by like one and a half percent so that just as the episode gets on, I'm gradually more and more out of sync with the rest of you. Is that... Okay. You think sure. that's a fun experiment we could try? Sure. I, I thought you were going to say, just, as a, just for fun, I'm going to clap anyway. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, it is fun if you if you'll indulge me. Just no, it didn't fill the void. We're good. I clapped too. Now you have to sync those two up. Those <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I clapped. The three of us. It'll be a train wreck. Yeah, of three right. people talking over each other. My name is Tyreek. My name is Ryan. And this is special guest Jim Stormdancer. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Tyreek, would you like yes. to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I'm Tyreek. I make games. I um, have a game called Catacomb Kids that I'm working on that you can buy. It's in Steam Early Access, also on Itch. And I guess that's the main thing. I'm working on other games too. But that's the one that you can buy that I care the most about currently. That's not true. This is getting rambling, so someone else take over. What's well, the one I care most about? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I, I forget where, Tariq, but I saw it demoed somewhere and it looked rad as hell. Well, thank you. Uh, I've seen a little bit of the minigame you're making for UFO 50 and that looks really cool. I don't know what it is other than being in a corridor and punching a weird alien or something, but it looks neat. Yep. And I'm into it. Yeah, I should say mine now. Hi, I'm Ryan, and I'm a composer and sound designer for video games. Uh, I've done stuff like West of Loathing and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, and I'm working on like five different projects, and I can't talk about any of them. So <laughs> uh, assume I can't legally say it's Skyrim 2, but I I didn't really say it, say it just then, so I feel like I'm covered. I just implied it. Sounds good. Does it? <laughs> did any did that sound good jim is that what you is that what you want he's saying it sounds good because you're working on it and things you make sound good no i mean your audio quality is fine <laughs> <laughs> uh are you ready for some topics i'm ready and raring to go i'm thirsty for i love topics ryan your your topic here is what's a, what's a fandom you're not a part of but kind of wish you were yeah and i, I want to be clear about this this isn't like I, I want to pursue enjoying this thing. It's that you already know you don't like it, but you still kind of crave the camaraderie slash community of the fandom that does like it. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So f for me, like to, I'll, to kind of start it off, like this is Pokemon. I don't hate Pokemon. I don't, I don't dislike it even. I just kind of just barely missed the like nostalgia boat as a kid. You know, I was like, I, people in my grade were like obsessed with red and blue and like watching the TV show and it like just didn't quite get to me. And I love how happy it makes people. And I, so many, pretty much everyone in my life who's in the game space, like talks about it and loves it so much. And they have their favorite Pokemon and they know all the different types and they personify like what starter they would be and da da da. And it's just like, it seems really nice, but I don't give a shit enough to <laughs> like get into Pokemon, you know? But I would like to be, I would like to piggyback onto their little community and I don't know how to do it without being a monster. 
a pocket monster, if you will. <laughs> Have you considered playing Pokemon Snap? So that's that's that alienates me even further. That makes me even worse of a <laughs> like a pariah to them because I played Pokemon Snap. Uh, that was the only Pokemon I played because it came out on Nintendo sixty four, a system I had. And I was like, this will make me popular, and then I didn't like it because it was like my first Pokemon game I got to really play. Uh huh. It was just like badger this Snorlax, like throw apples at this Snorlax until he wakes up. You're like the shitty kid at the zoo. Like, <laughs> you know, like I felt I felt really bad. So like I didn't love it. And I feel like that's you can't say you don't love Pokemon Snap, right? Like that's not done. So that didn't help. And also I played Blue and I did enjoy Blue, but I'm just like not a Pokemon like I'm not obsessed. I, I, I played Blue and I've like dipped into some of the newer ones. I'm like, this is fine. I, I get why people love this and I'm happy they love it. That's where I'm at. But like, they seem like they're having such a fun time and there's so much fun iconography from it. And I'm just like the weirdo standing outside on the lawn of this amazing house party that the entire rest of the world is in. <laughs> like the fucking, the summer that Pokemon Go came out was like some reverse body snatcher shit for me where I felt like the only alien walking around in a skin suit and everybody else was a human being like having the best time. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I'm entirely with you on this entire thing. I've never been a huge Pokemon fan. And so seeing other people enjoy it and get so into it is just kind of baffling to me, like I, like as an outside observer. And like when I, I've tried playing, I mean, I've, I've played a few of the games, but every time I play them, I'm playing them like looking for what people like about them and not finding it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. Like trying to, I can't play one and just be like, I'm going to have fun with all my little animal friends. It's like, I'm going to dissect this like a, a weird emotionless scientist and try to figure out why everyone else is getting something out of it that I'm not. And like, right. That's not. <laughs> how, how do you guys feel about collecting things in video games? I don't have a very strong collecting urge. Yeah. Like inside or outside of video games. It's just not something that really drives me at all. When it comes to games, I have a completionist urge. And if that completion involves collecting something, then I will collect. But if it doesn't involve collecting something, then I will enjoy myself more. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> for sure. it sounds like you should avoid the Pokemon games. Right. How many of them are you supposed to catch anyway? Oh. Is it like two or three okay? Fuck. Oh. See, that's, that, feels, that feels ambitious and like a lot to ask. So, I've my answer is probably Christianity. <laughs> I, I feel like I would like I would really dig like going to like a free R&B concert every Sunday and singing along with everybody. Also, this, this also um, presumes that I liked live music. Or that oh. live music specifically. Oh, I, so, if I liked live music, I would like that because I like that music. Uh, but... Yeah, just can't get there from here. You know, hanging out with all the people at the church and they all like care about each other and you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking as a person who once identified as Christian, I wasn't super, I was never super into the music. Like there are a few songs that I, that I can get into, but like a lot of the more modern style of music that seems to be like backronymed into Christianity <laughs> is, I don't know, it always feels so kind of forced and devoid of earnestness. But I guess I'm also coming from a background of like... Are you talking about like Christian rock or something? 
Yeah, kind of like yeah, like that. Yeah, like nobody likes that. Right, yeah. No, I'm talking about like when you when you walk past a church and they're playing like the organ in there and it sounds like you got some people singing a cool rhythm. It's just okay. like Okay. It's a it's a cool R&B concert happening in this church. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see it. You get that bake sales kind of like all the time for whatever you want. You know what I love? Baked goods. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> there was there was good food. There was definitely good food. Also, that like if I were if I were into churches, I probably wouldn't have turned down that girl in high school when she invited me to her church, and maybe I would have gotten to know her. Maybe your whole life would be different. You know, the life where you have a you're happily married and have a have a son right now. Have maybe you that have you ever like gone to a <laughs> church like to a sermon? I I have I have, and they're fine. Have you gone to a black church? <laughs> No, I haven't. I don't know okay. what those are like, except for walking past them while they're playing cool music. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. My uh, my roommate went to, uh, he visited my parents uh, in Atlanta uh, last year and um, stayed, stayed with them for a couple of days and they like they were like, come to church with us. And so, he went to church and it was like this first time at a black church and he was like, that was a really interesting experience as as a white dude. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, I'm kind. I'm, I mean, I've, I'm kind of curious what what the experience would be like because that's those are the churches I grew up going to. You know. Yeah. It. I. My only th- inkling is like, and I only have like media, which like I have no idea how accurately it's represented. But like, I went to white like small town Lutheran church for a, a hot minute as a kid, and it's not good. <laughs> uh, it's not fun and. Uh, it's boring and lame and weirdos from the town can just come in and tell you whatever shit they want about the Bible, including if you don't read the whole thing, if you even miss a paragraph, you go straight to hell. It doesn't matter how good a person you were. That was a fun one I learned. I don't think that's canon. Uh, it's, it was canon in our church because canon was just kind of a collaborative, fun little thing that everyone from <laughs> my stupid town got to do. But on TV, which <laughs> is not real life at all, that's all I have to go on. Black church looks way more fun. Like people are like not sitting austere and like sterile and just like slowly like nodding their head they're like getting into it is that has that been your experience i mean there's definitely like the whole you know they're they're giving the sermon and everybody's you know not generally supposed to interject with their own thoughts and feelings necessarily but you know if you if you get a good sermon and people start getting really into it then you know people start shouting uh, you know yes lord preach it preach it and that sort of thing and you know the organ will like come in for for uh, for particularly high energy moments and that sort of thing. It's it's definitely a, a kind of a production, I guess I'd say. I don't know if that's the proper term, but there's there's an energy that kind of tends to at least in the churches I've been to, there tends to be an energy that kind of flows throughout the course of the the sermon. But as a kid, I was still really bored out of my mind and wanted to leave all the time. So I mean, yeah, of course. But imagine liking it. Right. Imagine, yeah. imagine if that was what it was like, then it'd be very different. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds way more fun than just like listening to somebody tell you how close you are to going to hell right now in the same basement that they just had an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting like four seconds ago and kicked everybody out. Like I'd rather go where people are like excited to be there and allowed to, it sounds like allowed to, correct me if I'm wrong, like it's not inappropriate to show how excited you are. You know, I forgot about the whole hell thing. <laughs> you know, fuck that. I don't I don't want to believe in hell. That would be that would be terrible. Like all all my atheist friends are like I I have to worry about them going to hell. No, no. Oh, I didn't think about that. 
Because what if you thought you were following the book pretty good, but you, so you weren't worried about you, but then everybody else, if you're, I guess it depends. How are you imagining what kind of Christian would you be if you were into this? Because like, there's some people who are like, I'm sorry, I love you. And it's, it's not your fault that you're gay, but you're still going to hell. And then there's others who are like, no, like, fuck that. Like, you're a good person. You go to heaven. doesn't matter. Yeah. The people who feel like they can make up the rules themselves. That's, that's like why there are so many denominations of Christianity in the first place, isn't it? Like, I, I didn't know about any of these different denominations when I was growing up. I was just like, oh, yeah, church is church. Christians are Christian, you know? I'm one of those. But then, like, later on, found out that's like, oh, wait, no, there's, like, Lutherans and Presbyterians and, like, like Episcopalians. I don't even know what any of these things mean or what they're, like, how they differ. Lydian and Locrian and Mixolydian. And Mixolydian, <laughs> yeah. Phrygian. Pythagorean. <laughs> Non-Euclidean. Yeah. Yeah. Non-Euclidean Christianity. I like that. <laughs> There's so many, I, that moment when you kind of grow up, if you grew up kind of raised even mildly religious to go to church and you have that realization that you just kind of crystallize of like, shit, there's not only Christians and non-Christians that you kind of start to develop. You know, if you went to a good church that wasn't like hateful, you, I assume, don't hate them or anything. But then finding out like, oh, there's like Presbyterians and like, Lutherans and Protestants, and I kind of don't know how they're different, but none of us agree. So now we get to have like infighting introduced yeah. on top, <laughs> you know? Forgot about that moment. All right. My new answer is li- I wish I liked live music. It's good. I like it. Is it is good. Lot. Yeah. I get tired of being at the venue sometimes, but I still like that music is happening live in my yeah. face. So do you not like the fact that the music is live or do you not like all the surrounding situations and being at venues and stuff? I'm like the music itself, like being performed live is fine, but uh, it's always way too loud Mm. and it's always an enormous pain in the ass to like be at the venue. Right. Have you worn earplugs? I've worn earplugs. I I, I have a pair of... um, one of those earplugs that have like the flat response that don't like muffle the the treble more yeah. than the bass. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But they're only like about 10 decibels. And so like they can help me survive being in a bar, but not at a live concert venue. Right. Yeah, I, I, I have some of those and they've helped a lot uh, preserve my hearing because, you know, I used to be like, oh, it's weak. If I'm here listening to music, I'm going to listen to the music. I'm not going to put anything into my ears to make the music less music, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I was, I, I was uh, deaf for like three days um, after Yikes. one particular concert. And I was like, this isn't good. I like hearing things. I think I should maybe, I should maybe start caring about this more. And like the damage is kind of done, but I've, I've since then tried to take a little better care of my actual hearing and whatnot. But yeah. I'm, I'm not great at hearing things anymore. Like just spoken words near me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys ready for another topic? I am. Yeah. Uh, Tyreek, your topic is pointless automatons. Yeah. So I really like the idea of machines that exist for no other purpose than themselves, essentially. Yeah. Like, like humans. Yeah. Yeah. I guess examples of these would be those boxes that you like flip a switch on and then a little claw comes out and immediately flips the switch to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, to those turn are itself great. off. <laughs> I love those. Um, I love, have you seen um, strand beasts, which are these 
big, weird, there's no computers involved, but they're like big moving contraptions that kind of resemble some sort of life form made out of uh, like shafts of, I think, PVC or bamboo or something like that, that just like wander. This this one dude makes them and they they just like wander along the beaches of... Yeah, I've seen I've seen video of that. I feel like seeing one of those in the wild would be terrifying. Yeah, I love them so oh, much. Man. They're so cool and they have no purpose other than to exist. And I feel like another example would be like the big grasshopper oil drill platform things. I would like them more if they weren't actually doing anything. Just I think part of this part of this <laughs> yeah. part of this to me comes down to comes down to the idea that like I don't know. I, I might be reading into my own thoughts too much with this, but I feel like as a species, we've made so many things extinct. And so it would be cool to just bring some weird contraptions back into existence that only exist for the sake of being like, oh, yeah, you can just flitter, at, flitter around and be interesting. Like screensavers. Yeah, like screensavers. Do you remember screensavers? <laughs> <laughs> So you like you like the idea of like having an ecosystem of these things kind of kind of yeah like kind of an ecosystem that's detached from any concerns with being useful to humans and just the idea that there can be machines that do their own thing and maybe they're maybe they could be like useful to the environment in some way or whatever but that are out of the hands of any human intervention and so I actually uh, included a link along with my this topic submission, which is a like funny or fun like New York Times op-ed thing or whatever that um, is a f sort of fictional article from the future in which uh, self-driving scooters uh, gain a sort of sentience and roam wild in New York. Okay, and they have like networked. Uh, capabilities that that allow them to uh, hunt and like get riders against the riders' will, <laughs> and 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 like like certain certain populations uh, gather around different charging stations, and these different populations have, due to their network nature, evolved different behaviors and that sort of thing. I don't know. I just really love the idea of of machines that that exist outside of the control or or any kind of concern with human priorities these scooters are definitely uh concerned with humans because they're trying to get human riders yeah i guess so, so they yeah. would have to and, and like the other example that this article made me think of is the uh the little robot that was all it did was roll forward but it looked it had a cute face and had a sign on it saying i'm trying to get to to this address can you help me out right and People would just like rotate it to face the correct direction as it was moving around. <laughs> I don't think I saw that one actually, but I like I'll that. I'll like see if I can find that. I, I was thinking. I was thinking you were going to say um, there was a robot that was like hitchhiking. There was a hitchhiker robot that I think made it all the way across <laughs> Canada and then got destroyed in America within like two 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 towns of its starting location or something. I think it might have been the same thing or the same idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. I'll, I'll try to find a link to those. Uh, but the it's it's really hard for us to think about. Like I, I really do like the idea of these weird automatons existing wholly outside of the human sphere 
yeah, yeah. like not concerned with their creators at all. I, yeah. I, I feel like if you anybody saw the show like BattleBots when you were a kid, I feel like any BattleBot, if you just let it go in the woods, <laughs> would just be this. Right? Like it would just be like a ramp that drives around <laughs> the floor's floor, like flipping over pine cones like forever. Right. Because, like <laughs> right. the programming was so limited, it wouldn't know how to get back to society. It would just like become a weird metal part of the ecosystem is my hope. Yeah, and 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 I think that would be incredible. But battle bots are, you know, just RC. They're like humans control them, which is super lame. And like that show is super lame. Yeah, the show <laughs> sucks. I always forget that there's just like an asshole and his son, like making it do stuff. I want to remember it right. as these things were autonomous. This was just how they communicated. My bad. Right, and also because they were trying to keep the audience safe, it was it, like you couldn't do anything cool, like have a flamethrower or projectiles. There were definitely flamethrowers on some of them. I oh, don't there? think I, I don't think I ever saw any like actual like projectiles or like anything going in with a machine gun or a crossbow. What a waste! You couldn't just have a a robot with a nuke, or at least a flail. Yeah, yeah, which is the nuke of the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, I think I don't know Tariq if this fits the bill but a thing that I'm kind of weirdly struck by from this really good prompt is I love I'm like an idiot and I love a Rube Goldberg machine like the more complex mm. and ridiculous you know the machine is to achieve a small goal uh, the better and I saw one when I was a kid at some like little kid science museum where like this little like robot hand like flicked a marble with enough force to shoot it up this ramp and to the top of the machine where it would go through like you know a boat and like a rope would burn like from a candle and like send the boat across and like ramps and all this all this crazy shit and the marble would end up back at the robot hand and just do it over again forever and i like the idea of there just being like a village of these and like there's no people around and it's just like every machine that lives there is like the most complex articulation of a small task but like they're because all, all that crazy shit still happens if you're not around right you just I, need I something to kick it off right yeah and if you like make it if you make it into a, like a some kind of cyclical thing that can somehow auto reset itself oh you could have one oh rube goldberg machine that goes through the process and then triggers another rube goldberg <laughs> machine which then resets the first one yeah, now we're talking because now it's like it is an ecosystem, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really into that. I'm going to go ahead and think about that every day for the rest of my life if, if you don't mind. <laughs> Hopefully it can replace the abstinence train. It can't. They're just there. There's room for both. They're both rattling around in there. Okay, you, you, <laughs> could, you contain multitudes. I contain a duology at least. <laughs> Are you ready for another topic? Sure. In as much as I'm still going to be thinking about autonomous robots that don't care if we live or die, uh, yes. Well, I, this this news this topic requires various lenses, probably, so you can use that one. Uh, my topic is: <laughs> please help reconstruct this lost pun, vegan jazz standards with nutritional yeast. Uh, and so, more more context here is required. I, as I saw at some point somebody <laughs> made a joke saying vegan jazz standards colon and then named uh like a jazz standard except they replaced one of the words with the word nooch which is short for <laughs> nutritional yeast so it was like miles davis kind of nooch or like fly me to the nooch except it was a good joke and i'm hoping one of you can think of the 
the jazz standard that might might have been uh, in use here. This is a nightmare because there's. So, I feel like as as a a audio specific human being that I there's more onus on me to just know the answer to this. But you already asked me about this months ago and i still have no fucking clue what this was supposed to be oh did i i'm sorry no no, no. <laughs> don't be, don't be a, sorry there's a jazz band called moon hooch so would it be like <laughs> moon nooch or something okay all right that's not bad i like that we're just gonna say that's the answer if we can't come up with anything that pleases jim <laughs> yeah <laughs> if we're not all married by the time we're 50 that's the answer <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it's one of those jokes that like you construct for like 17 people maximum to get. But those yeah. those people like one of which was you <laughs> apparently. Right, and right. like yep. but those 17 people fucking love it and it's like worth it for for them to like totally get it and be on board. And what's really messing me up is 25 years from now if I live that long this is going to come into my head out of nowhere. I'm going to slip in the shower and right before I like bounce my skull off the floor, I'm going to think of the answer. And then that'll be like the last thought in my head before I like leave this earth. And like, that's sort of what you've cursed me with. Cause it's like, I, I understand what they're going for. And I can, I keep thinking of jazz standards that are like absolutely not it, but I like, I, <laughs> it's like, there's, <laughs> it's like we're almost done filling out a jigsaw puzzle, except I have to construct the last piece myself. And for some reason, the shape of the hole that it fits in is blurry. And I can't see what should go there. You know what I mean? And you're going to die after solving the puzzle, but it's and worth it. And it will expire immediately. But again, I'm in an exclusive club called 16 People in Gym. So so I'm looking at the Wikipedia list of, list of jazz standards. That's also what I'm looking at. And there are so many of these. So... <clears throat> mooch is literally the only word I can think of that rhymes with nooch right now. <laughs> yeah. So there is a song called The Mooch, and then there's another song called Moose the Mooch. Uh -huh. So maybe one of those? I don't know. Or it could be it could have been something completely different, like autumn autumn nooches. Yeah. Um, fly me to the nooch. I so this isn't the answer, but there was a, a level in Rocket Robot on Wheels called Paint Misbehaving, mm. which is pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. What if the joke was, do you remember it being like, you saw this, right? When, yeah, it was you, on somebody's Facebook. Do you remember it being clever? Does it feel like it was something that was one letter removed from the thing? Or was the joke that whatever they substituted Nooch for was not even fucking close and it was like funny how ham-fisted it I, was? I, I'm not sure now. Because if it's that, we're dead. Uh, I'm not certain. <laughs> we have to just go forward on the assumption that it's not that, right? Because otherwise, it could be, it could be anything. It, it could be Blue Mamba, except they changed it to, to Nooch Mamba, and that's nothing. But like, it's kind of funny how bad that is. Maybe all of Nooch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the good news I think is that if you die when you solve this, then Jim is going to live forever, and that's you know that's kind of fun. Think of everything you'll get to get done and all of the other kind of half-constructed puns and jokes you'll just have rattling around in your brain by then that you can you can kind of ponder over. Uh, maybe the punchline from something else will end up kind of slotting in here by mistake if you get jostled in your hover car and it'll kind of feel satisfying. So now I'm thinking of slant rhymes and like single-syllable words that it could be and 
Blue, blue could fit. There's a lot of there's a lot of songs with blue in them. Afro Nooch. Um, Afro Nooch is, is <laughs> catchy. Is That's pretty good. Nooch Danub. And like I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking through this list, but I'm trying to keep it to ones that I feel like people could reasonably recognize as a jazz standard. Because I feel like it, it wouldn't yeah. be an obscure one. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm annoyed at this list of jazz standards because it's so exhaustive instead of being like... I honestly did not know there were this many jazz standards. This is too many... There are, there are literally hundreds, which is what makes this so, so difficult. It's like such a huge haystack. Uh, but Nooch for me, Bye Bye Nooch Bird, I could go on like... Days of wine and nooches, like fucking, <laughs> you know, nooch, except the original name of the song was four. Uh, I love nooch. Like, on, we're dead. On Green Nooch Street. <laughs> nooch River. It could be the word you as well. Was it the girl uh, from Ipanucha? That's as close yeah, as that's, that's a pretty good one. I only have eyes for nooch. <laughs> is nooch a word that is a frequent frequently used substitute for nutritional yeast i don't apparently apparently it is yeah it's such an unpleasant set of sounds it's yeah it's, no, I, yeah i hear you it doesn't sound edible and it doesn't sound good it's, for me it's supposed to be delicious it's supposed to be like cheese like <laughs> all right we're just i'm just gonna say girl from ipanucha is is it and i'll write that down on a little piece of paper keep it in but, my wallet and whenever I want to die, I can just look at that and be like, oh, right. <laughs> oh, thank God. But except we, listen, I'm flattered, but we all know that's not it. Right? And so... Don't, listen, if you don't convince me of that, then I can die. When you do pass away, some paramedic's going to find a slip of paper that says the girl from Ipanucia in your wallet and it's going to drive... <laughs> no, it'll be in my, it'll be in my hand, like right in front of my face. It's going to be a curse. Yeah, it's going to be a Junji Ito manga and you're going to like... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Uzumaki but for Nooch and it's going to pollute the whole town where you pass away. It's worth it. <laughs> I see your Nooch before me. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready for another topic? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Anything. This is, a, this is a write-in. Mallow asks, how do you grapple with slash think about your legacy? Things that sprang to mind included the relevant time frame, obligations to the future, how, what, or slash what people inherit from their ancestors, and how self-censorship is a way to cut off a legacy. Oh. Do you grapple with your legacy? I just want to be a person who has a finished game. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to finish Catacomb Kids and have it be completely done. You've been doing a lot of practicing finishing games in ufo 50 yeah but i feel like catacomb kids is like this thing that i've it's like this promise that i've made that's looming over me and it won't be fulfilled until it's a finished done thing that you can play from start to finish and get like steam achievements in and whatever like whatever consists of a finished <laughs> right. game I, f I feel like ufo 50 is a thing i'm working on but it's you know, it's contract work. And um, like I have other projects that I haven't really like they're not promised to anyone. They're just things that are brewing in my head or that I've like started, you know, fiddling with in my own free time and that sort of thing. But Catacomb Kids is this thing that's like so many people 
back to the Kickstarter and so many people have bought the early access and if I don't finish it, then I will be a liar to all of those people. Yeah. And well, so that's not great. The other thing about like working on a project, you've been working on this thing for like 10 years, right? Yeah. The idea of finishing a 10-year project, that's like we were just talking about how I would find the solution to this problem and drop dead. I feel I'm I'm actually worried about you like losing your will to live after you ship this game. Oh goodness, no. I'm sure that won't happen. I have so <laughs> many other things I want to do. Like okay. I, All right. I have I have and that's part of part of I think what's been helping me what's been helping fuel me through the um through the game more recently than it did earlier on in the development process is because earlier on in the development process I was only working on Catacomb Kids and I, and I was kind of going insane. But now that I'm work now that I do have other things to work on and I've sort of like for a long time I was like, okay, this is the only thing I'm working on because this is the only thing I'm allowed to work on because this is the thing that I've promised everyone. Yeah. Uh, after I kind of I kind of dropped that mentality and I still want to finish it because it does still feel like a promise. But I've dropped the mentality of of it being the only thing I'm allowed to work on. And so I've been working on uh my seven day roguelike uh that I made earlier this year, Atgatha in Absurdia. And I am like loving working on it so much. I was working on it earlier today and um, have it running on my phone and it's super fun. And so like the prospect of making new, more better things is always just like tantalizingly in front of me. And for a long time, I was like cutting myself off from actually reaching for that because I had Catacomb Kids just in the way. But now I'm like, okay, I can have one hand on Catacomb Kids and the other hand on other things and stay sane. But Catacomb Kids is still there. You know, it's still this thing that I have to see through to the end one way or another. But it's not like gating off your ability to create other stuff and like maybe have those also be added to a potential legacy as well. Is what it sounds like. It still is to a smaller degree than it used to, I think. Like before I wouldn't let myself do essentially anything. Like I like making music. I like like writing and world building and I like making games and all these things. But for a long time, I just would not allow myself to do anything because every, because every time I would start on one, I would just feel super guilty that I'm not working on Catacomb Kids. But now I can work on other things, but not other big things. I have other like larger projects that I would really like to dive into that I can't because Catacomb Kids is still this boulder on my shoulder. Yeah. That's so, that's rough. Like having this thing that you I assume are simultaneously, you know, excited about to to add to a potential legacy and that you've been putting so much time and effort into also be this big guilt-laden impediment. I mean, yeah. that's definitely a feeling I can I can identify with, not on the same scale maybe because I've never personally done a Kickstarter, but like, you know, I owe, I owe a good album to the people I work with on this game or whatever, but I'm really excited about these other projects. And, you know, I, I think I've experienced that at least on smaller scales and it's never a good feeling because it's, it's dissonant in your brain, right? It's like, I love this thing, but also it's kind of in my way. Right. Yeah. And I feel like part of it is also because like Catacomb Kids is so much my thing and so much a part of me and I'm so much a part of it that for other projects that I'm working on and that sort of thing, like, oh, I, if, 
something were to happen where I could no longer work on UFO 50 anymore, for example, like they could probably find another pixel artist and another game maker coder who could do things that I could do. But without me, Catacomb Kids like will not get finished. And so the idea that I might, that something might happen to prevent that from ever happening is a constant stress. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. Sorry, I didn't mean to get so heavy. What about you guys? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean that to sound sarcastic if it did, because it is a, it's, it's a lot and an interesting topic how much a creative person or an artist's like own work can, you know, you hear all this talk, all this poetic talk about like art and creativity being like so freeing and being like a way to express yourself and expand your worldview and your little universe. But like sometimes it can feel like you're you're building a little very well articulated and pretty looking like cage around yourself sometimes. And it's like, damn it, I want to be making other shit. But especially especially if you owe it to someone, right? If it's just like a fun passion project for you, you can kind of dip and I will still have guilt in that case, just cause like, Oh, why didn't I ever finish anything? You know, what kind of precedent am I setting for my own work? But like, you know, when you've got a whole Kickstarter worth of people, like I can definitely see that coming with some baggage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I actually feel like that. I don't know if I would have the attention span to finish a big project. If I didn't have that kind of obligation, it's, it's hard to know because it's been a long time. Like my entire game dev career, I have owed something to somebody. So it may be that in like the last eight years or whatever, I've just changed enough to, as a person to be able to do that kind of work. Just I'll just choose to do it. But prior to that, the only reason I made a project as big as Frog Fractions, the only reason I was able to was that it was so diverse that I could work on a bunch of I could work on a different thing every day, and it would still be all part of the same whole. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the appeal for me of Catacomb Kids as well is even though it is all the same project, there's so much to it that I can, and this is part of the problem, honestly, is that I can just keep adding stuff to it. And if I don't feel like working on one particular aspect, I can like jump over to another aspect that's like completely different, but still, you know, feeding into the game and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. And I think part of, I was going to say, if you maybe want to try something that you, you want to work on that you aren't obligated to other people, try something procedurally generated because that's what has helped me a lot is being able to work on something where every time I engage with it, it's different. And writing writing systems and that sort of thing is is much more interesting to me than like building levels or whatever. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I this is causing me to think about like, I can't remember the last time and not to get depressing, but like the last time I made music just be, kind of just because I wanted to. I'm always, I'm excited about everything I'm working on. I'm getting a lot of artistic kind of passion and inspiration from the stuff I'm getting to work on for these projects. It's, it's not that, but it's like, you know, before I was full up on, on game work and kind of had a, had a career going at full steam, I was spending so much time just making whatever the hell I wanted. And it was the same deal. It was like, if I wasn't loving a piece, it's like, oh, whatever, I'll come back to it. And I would try usually something completely different. And now it, it sort of feels like the only way that I, at least during this current last couple of years, the only way I get music done, even if I end up loving the result and being fulfilled by it is when it's like beholden to somebody. Yeah. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to go ahead and have some realizations right here on the podcast. If that's cool with everybody. 
I, I feel like it's the same for me. Like it's been a long time since I just made a game just because I liked making games. But I have made a bunch of really weird shit that I, just because I felt like working on it because I could just barely justify it as part of a as part of a game I'm working on. Uh, and and then end up like, you know what, this isn't working out. I will not I will scrap this last three months of work on this this weird offshoot thing that turns out to not really be not really fit into the project and call it a wash. But I, I hear what you're saying. And it, it's it definitely does something to you psychologically where like you are working effectively all the time, even if you're doing things that you used to consider fun. Mm. That's that's actually kind of part of why I started um I've been streaming lately and I've been streaming uh like basically the only time I ever draw anymore is when I'm streaming. Yeah. Uh because I can excuse it as yep. being work like, you know. Yep. So like I'm engaging <laughs> yeah. with my audience and you know engaging with the community and and you know building building community and that sort of thing. But outside of those contexts the like and also like playing games it's like uh I can I can play games while I'm streaming and that sort of thing. But if I'm just if no one is watching me stream, then I feel like all of my effort has to be spent on a project. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and this this podcast is the same way. I started recording this cuz I wanted to have a podcast in my life again after video games hot dog and I was able to justify it by saying like, well, I'm engaging with my audience. Yeah, shit. I, I guess I'm in the same boat. Cause like I talked all that game about having not made anything for myself in forever, but in the last couple of months, I've been starting to like get some performers together for just like a, a track I want to make, kind of as just like a music intro for like one of the uh, role playing games I'm in. I got way oh, yeah. tabletop in the last couple of years, and I'm really enjoying that. I was like, no, I'm gonna make us like a theme song because we always do music before each episode anyway, episode every session. But then I caught myself realizing like. I was still kind of planning to release it in such a way where like other people could download it and have it for free if they wanted and use it in their campaigns and kind of tie it into the tabletop community a bit. And it would just still be like a thing that I could justify in my head. Like this is still going to kind of help improve my social presence or whatever, which, you know, artists live off of. Yeah. I'm not just making, I'm excited to make it, but I'm not, I'm not capable apparently of just making it in a vacuum just because I want to, or at least well, I'm not I'm, doing that. Maybe I'm not incapable, but that's not what's happening. Like know? arguably you shouldn't even be showing it to anybody. Like you'd make this theme song for your tabletop RPG group and then never play it for them. Cause you're just making it cause <laughs> it's fun. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is interesting. And I think it goes a lot into like, Getting back to the to what was their name Mallow, uh, their their question about how does this factor in the legacy? Like, it's interesting to think like when we look at the legacy of like creative people now, you know how much we, I think I have this inherent idea of looking at their stuff and being like, man, they just made whatever they wanted to make. You know, they yeah these 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 great albums were made because like the the Rolling Stones or Prince or whoever like this is just what they wanted to do, and it's like sure maybe, but like they still had you know, a record label that they were beholden to and fans that they were beholden to. And like, how much did they experience this same feeling and how much of the air of the idea that they just made everything exactly like they wanted to and when they wanted to is just imagined by me looking back. 
Well, and also like all the Renaissance artists were being paid by the church to make church stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, Michael Angelo didn't just go, man, the ceiling looks whack. I'm going to fix it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess kind of also thinking about that, though, it reminds me or it makes me think of like all the artists and, you know, great historical creators that we can think of, all the ones that have works that never saw the light of day until like after they passed, be it like 50 or 100 year, years later, or whatever, people like still finding new paintings by this painter, still finding new fictions by this person, that sort of thing. I'm like, maybe we could like do more things we wanted to if we just thought of them as being like, like increasing our posthumous clout or something like that. That's what my porn collection is for. Oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, that's that seems like also an unhealthy way of approaching it. <laughs> this is if you want to think about death every time you make something. Yeah. Well, you'd have you'd have your you'd have your living works and then you'd have your dead works. You'd be like, okay, this is the stuff I'm going to make when I'm alive. Here's my death art. Yeah. yeah and here's and here's the stuff people are going to find after I'm gone. And I'm just going to like put it in an attic somewhere because that's where great works are found apparently sometimes or or like sell it to a, thr- a thrift shop so that in 50 years someone can find it and be like, who is this by? Oh, it's by this great artist or who is this by? Oh, yeah. it's by this nobody. I made a, a music under the band name Smush for 12 years, something like that. And most of that was just like, I'm going to upload these tracks to mp3.com for the audience of whoever stumbles into it. And it was almost nobody. There was one person in New Jersey who bought one of my albums. I never found out who it was. I sold one album to someone in New Jersey. Uh, But aside from that, it was just like, just the uh, promise of someone might find my stuff and listen to it someday was enough like that was part of what I, uh, what motivated me to work on this music, even just having the the eventual future promise of an audience, and that's part of the reason that like I haven't really made music that much since then. Is that like oh I've got a real life audience for my games, I could make stuff for them instead, instead of my non-existent fake audience. Well, what I've been what I've been trying to do is trick people into consuming all the things I make regardless of where, what they came to me for. So, right. so, you know, I have Catacomb Kids and that's a game thing that I do and so I made a Patreon so it's like, oh hey, support my Patreon if you want to support the game but I'm not going to put any game things on Patreon. I'm just going to throw all, all my bad music that I make there. So, if you want to support the game, I will force you to be subjected to the music that I make. But you're not putting that music in the game. No, it's no, I don't all all the music I make is like very song like singy, like lyrical and not, okay. not very game oriented. But I like singing. So, but it, again, it all, it all, it it still comes back to like I like singing, but like if I make something, then I feel like I have to I have to like put it on my Patreon now, you know, like I, I, if I can't, if I didn't have this Patreon, I wouldn't be making as much music because I wouldn't feel obliged to. So. Yeah, there you go. You just have to, you have to just have to bend this horrible psychological defect that we all have, bend it to your will and let it motivate you to do the things you already wanted to do. That's basically what I've been trying to do. It's working, but I don't like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> would you rather be an upload? Would you rather just live in the cloud and, and right, make just music? Like have no one listen to it or whatever? No, I mean like would you like to be a, a computer program just oh. making music for yourself and that be that be your only uh your only mental activity? I mean honestly that sounds kind of nice. I I don't think that's I'd mind a, that. That's my new fandom I wish I was a part of. <laughs> part of part of the cloud. I just, just want to make jam games forever for an audience of nobody. Sounds like heaven. Are you ready for another topic? Yes. Yes, but I do need to make sure the audience understands that uh and Jim and Tyreek you're about to both learn this too that in the context of the podcast, my audio just got super shitty again because the device I'm using to record, uh, I filled it. I filled all of the <laughs> So now we're, we've had yet two episodes where the supposed audio professionals, uh, audio goes from kind of pretty good to super shitty. I have I have a good microphone coming next week, I swear to God. I just I, This is my first, my first really podcast hope, regularly on. I hope this happened on a cool word like audiophile like last time. <laughs> Yeah, Terry, I literally this happened last time and I literally was in the middle of saying the word audiophile when it went to shit. So at least then we could kind of pretend it was a fun artsy like meta joke we were doing, but now it's just like Did the audio quality just degrade in the middle of audiophile? So it was like audio yes, or something? Yes, because basically because my recording went from my private recorder, because uh, I don't I just don't do a lot of vocal work. I swear to god, I literally have a mic coming tomorrow <laughs> since I'm now regularly on a fucking podcast, but uh, it, ran out of, it ran out of space. And uh, so in the middle of it, it went from like the good mic I have in front of me right now to what you're probably actually hearing in this moment, which is like the shitty Skype recording that now everyone gets to hear. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Jim, if you want to just edit in like an audio related word that I've said on a recording somewhere in the past, if I can send you like phonograph, like me saying the word phonograph, but like half good and half shitty, if you want to just splice that in somewhere. <laughs> Can we do that? Yeah, think think of think of a good word and and then send me a recording of it. All right, Tyreek, your top your topic is consistency of idiolect. Yes. So, an idiolect is an individual's distinctive and unique use of language, including speech. An idiolect is the variety of language unique to an individual, which differs from a dialect, which is a common set of linguistic characteristics shared among a group of people. So, I'm really interested in the idea of like how consistent people's idiolects are over the course of their lifetime. Because I've found myself on multiple occasions in the past and present adopting new phrases into my lexicon and having other ones just like vanish. Yeah. So like as, as examples, um, rec recently, relatively recently, this is a phrase that I started saying for like, I guess a stretch of like six or eight months and then stopped saying is uh, starting sentences with, I tell you what. <laughs> I don't know where that came from or why I started saying it, but I would just say, I tell you what, this is a thing, something, 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 you know. And would you keep that accent going through the rest of the sentence? No, it, it would kind of fade off toward like, like through the sentence. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know where that came from. Um, another example would be, uh, if someone says they did something that I don't quite hear it, I'll say like, what now? You did what now? Uh, yeah. Which is something I never used to say. I don't know when I started adding now at the end of that phrase instead of just saying, 
you did what? Or like, what did you do? Or I didn't hear you. But instead I'll say such and such and what now? And so like, I don't know. I like, I don't know if this is just me adopting and discarding these phrases willy nilly, or if this is something everybody does. This is, this is everybody. This like, I, I have definitely, I will uh, for sure adopt the, over time, the vocal mannerisms of people I hang out with both consciously, consciously and unconsciously. Like at one point, like 15 years ago, I saw somebody use the word, like use the word these days with no space in it. And then I don't even know <laughs> if they did it on purpose. I don't even know if it's like, is that like a, a thing where they're from or did they just, was it a typo? And I just started doing that every time. I like, you know what? I like this. I'm just going to write these days. Every time I type these days, I'll put, I'll delete the space in the middle and that became, now it's my thing. And it also <laughs> happens unconsciously, I'm sure. Like in, in part, I know this because it's been pointed out to me. I can't think of a good example of that. But yeah, this happens all the time. Like my the vocal, vocal mannerisms, vocabulary, the phrases you enjoy saying, they, they're in constant flux. Yeah. And I also say diggity dang. I think that's a relatively recent acquisition. Um, but yeah, like, like, and, and I can't think of an example of this, but I know for a fact that there was like a stretch of time where there's, there was like a specific uses of phrase. I think it's actually diggity dang, like, but the u the use case for the, for me saying diggity dang used to be something else. And then I noticed myself saying whatever came before that too much. And it irritated me so much that I stopped. And I adopted diggity dang instead. But I also remember that before that one, the same thing happened. So it's like I need to use whatever I use diggity dang for as a phrase. I need something to occupy that spot. But as soon as I notice myself using whatever that phrase is too much, I'll like phase it out of my out of my idiolect. And then something else will fall in to replace it without me noticing until I notice it again. And then I get annoyed again. <laughs> right. Do you do you listen to podcasts, Iran? Um sometimes. And it definitely like makes you hyper aware of all your little vocal tics. Yes. Yeah, that happened. So the first the first uh topic lords I was on, I listened to it and I actually I think I messaged you exclaiming like how irritated I was with how I sounded. <laughs> Well, and that's how after I edited out like all the dead air and the like the more egregious like pauses, the ums. Yeah. 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 It's, Everybody I have trouble for that reason because I'm like, oh God, there's no way I just talk like this when I'm on a mic. Like it's, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, what is the word? I'm going to go ahead and look it up again. It's the idiolect like equivalent of just not liking the way you sound, like your vocal tone on recording until you get used to it. Like it's realizing like, oh fuck, I do this all the time, don't I? <laughs> right. And so I know I say like a lot in my sentences and I know that's something that irritates people sometimes, but I recently was trying to have a conversation with somebody and I heard myself say like too much and mm -hmm. it irritated me. But so I said the, I said the exact same phrase three more times and every time I said it with likes in the same place because I feel like there are just certain like sound combinations and word combinations where in my head 
like word and like have just become one word. They become a compound word. And so, mm-hmm. for me to just say say the word without like following or preceding it doesn't like my mouth can no longer do that for some reason. That's interesting. Uh, so, for what it's worth, um, those things like um and uh and like are pauses that you insert because you are trying to figure out how to say what you're going to say. Like you haven't quite formed the sentence yet usually. Uh, And they actually provide a value to the listener in that the listener is cued to expect like, okay, this idea is going to be a little bit more complicated. Yes. because, Because they had to pause to think about it. And if you remove all the the ums and the likes from a from speech, it actually becomes harder to understand. Okay, I'm not crazy then because this is a feeling that I've had, but I didn't have any validation for it until you just said that just now. I'll see if I can track down the study I saw. Because like some like I've noticed uh, sometimes if I talk to people, if I talk to some someone who doesn't use filler words like that, and instead they just pause. It throws me off because I'll think they're either completely done with their thought and then I'll go to say something just as they go to say something and then we end up talking over each other. <laughs> right. Or like like it'll just be like a really kind of uncomfortable silence where I'm like, I don't know what to expect now. Yeah. Yeah. These these little ums and likes and buts with ellipses, like we those have become shorthand for I'm processing the next thing I'm gonna say, but I'm not done or I'm not trying to impose upon you like a threatening silence that means I'm going to do violence to you, which is what <laughs> I always think. Every time somebody just pauses and doesn't say something, I'm like, well, this person's, they have a knife or their chest is going to open up and a hand is going to come out of it or something. So like, I think those are a valuable part of speech. Nobody, nobody ever headbutts you after saying like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, so I think we've developed just, the implicit understanding that these mean like, hey, I'm, this is like putting ellipses or like seeing the little ellipses pop up when you're texting somebody and just knowing like, okay, they've still got more to say. Uh, but it's weird how I feel like that's how those function. And yet when I hear myself doing it, I'm just like cringing the entire time, even though they do kind of serve a purpose. That makes me wonder, that makes me wonder like how prevalent these filler words were historically. Like, did they just say, um, or did they have words like, like that they would insert? Yeah. I, I, I wonder if any of that stuff is documented anywhere because like, like we don't have recordings from before, I guess the late 19th century. Or, well, well, like also like if you listen to old timey radio shows and stuff like that, or like, you know, like, like old, old radio dramas and, and like old, old TV shows and that sort of thing, people talked fast. Yeah. And apparently that's just how they talked and they didn't yeah. there's no filler like how do you how do you do that? How do you think that fast? How do you think fast enough to say the words that you mean to say? Like I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't process that fast and I never have and is that like a generational conditioning thing because that's how we talk now? And people back it would it be like if we talk, tried to as a generation like talk the way they did on like old radio serials back then would we just get used to processing that far in advance? Or are we like not capable of doing it anymore? Like, or like maybe maybe they were just less innovative in the things that they were saying. Maybe they just yeah, had they just like had a, a, bunch a of stockpile phrases that they yeah. yeah 
afraid maybe they were just they saying dumb them. shit that wasn't as cool as our shit and <laughs> yeah, that's why maybe exactly. their shit was weak and that's why <laughs> i can get on board with that so my guess is that if we have documentation anywhere about all the the disfluencies that people in like the 1800s used i bet it would be like a an annoyed op-ed talking about how the the the, the ways that young women talk today yeah they say perchance every other word Right. <laughs> yeah, and like privy and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. You guys ready for another topic? I'm down. I'm right. I'm into it. All right. This is the last topic of the day. Ryan, your topic is how can we appeal to Gen Z so when they take over we aren't executed along with the boomers? Listen, I just want them to like me. Because <laughs> A, there as of this recording, there was like a recent probably sensationalized, you know, thing going around social media about folks from Gen Z just like absolutely ripping millennials apart on Twitter and or excuse me on TikTok. They don't care about Twitter. And <laughs> so see, whoops, I already I'm already getting launched into space with the rest of the garbage, like when they take over. But uh, I think that was largely probably blown out of proportion. And also most millennials I know were looking at the shit they were saying like, well you love Hogwarts, you love the office and just being like, yeah. You're not wrong. Like we <laughs> weren't really fighting it, but I just, I have this sense that I hope is founded in reality and not just what I want that my generation, not everybody, certainly. And I myself have things I could work on. I'm sure, but like largely is trying to be more environmentally conscious and more socially conscious and wants more social justice and equality than our parents or our grandparents did, or maybe our parents and our grandparents were aware that they these issues were even problems. And I feel like Gen Z is even a further distillation of that. You know what I'm saying? So like, I would like for them to be on our side or rather, I suppose, since they're the, they're the come up, I would like to be on their side rather than have them. Well, the important thing is that the revolution starts soon because the boomers are going to be dead soon, just anyway. And if they aren't there to execute, they're going to have to turn to the next generation. Oh man! I mean, we and Gen X is like so undercover. We could just beat them to the punch, though. <laughs> are they? I mean, are we? Because I am, I am of that of that era. I I know you exist. It's like I can't think of one largest generational trait other than like X Men co- po- like comics where like everybody had too many pockets. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like that's kind of it. Like I don't feel like I have any positive or negative feelings towards Gen X. Like y'all are just kind of hanging out. Yeah. I saw uh, an op-ed, I don't know, maybe a year ago about how oh, Gen Z hates Gen X now too. They call them Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and I am God, they just know how to roast it. <laughs> I'm convinced that all this stuff is um is astroturfing by the boomers. Like they're trying to f- foment g- a generational divide that they are not on the wrong side of. Mm. Could, I could see that. I also just wish we could do away with the idea of generations as a construct, kind of. It feels like one of those things that's... But then we can't blame the boomers. <laughs> yeah, we have to use like coded language, like people of a certain age or people with certain wraparound sunglasses or something. Right. Um, yeah, shit. I didn't think about the the united target of all of our anger is just not going to be here soon and then like they'll have to eat me right uh-huh. yeah <laughs> like what choice will they have 
Oh, fuck. The timeline is so much shorter than I thought, Jim. Oh, God. Okay. Well, we better get cracking. <laughs> what, do we, what do we do? Everybody, chop, chop. Your best five, like right now. Just rattle them off. Like, what do we, how do we do? What do we do? I mean, you, you already, you already said chop, chop. Like you've got the, got the instructions right, right there in your uh, exhortation. I'm giving them like coded language on how to, how and why they should destroy me. I do deserve it. Tamagotchis? Do they like those? Are those coming back? Like I'm desperate over here. So I have, I have a couple thoughts. First of all, I'm realizing, I don't think I know any Gen Zers. Like personally, yeah, personally, like I, I, and it's interesting because, like, when I was a kid, I feel like I had a lot more interaction with the previous generation, and now that I'm an adult, I have basically absolutely no interaction with the next generation, which seems wrong somehow. So um, was was it because of church? No, I mean, I was just always around my parents and they were always around oh, yeah. people their age <laughs> or oh, like, so you know, the in problem school, is that you haven't had kids yet. Like, yeah. that's and like, like, like in school, you know, it's like, oh, we're around our peers and also the teachers and, 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 you know, the older generations there that you deal with in, in school and that sort of thing. But it's like, once I stopped interacting with teachers I no longer interact with the upper generation above me. And since I am not a teacher myself, I don't interact with the generation that comes after. Yeah. Like the American school system, like the, the um, age segregation is very strange. And it's something that like, I think really shapes our social circles for a long time after we leave school. Yeah. The other thought I had was that if like, so our generation's, defined by the culture of the particular stretch of time or is it literally just like oh you were born from this person so now you're this person like like does it follow a lineage or is it like a like like a cultural thing do you think because my thought my thought is if it's if it's cultural i feel like culture is changing so rapidly that there might be another generation after gen z sooner than the distance between millennials and Gen Z is. Like maybe young, what we're calling young Gen Zers, they might be like a completely different cultural generation from the older Gen Zers. As the, the like process of cultural change speeds up and just keeps getting faster and faster, eventually it'll become so that like generations are only divisions of like what month you were born within the same year or something and it'll all just evolve into chaos. <laughs> yeah 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 the cycle just keeps getting more and more like tiny and iterative until like twins born like a second and a half apart are different generations and they hate each yeah, other's yeah. guts or something oh man that's well that solves my problem because then who cares what happens to me because <laughs> like <laughs> we're all gonna like <laughs> become like a bunch of different fractals you know all it just becomes the heat death of of, of generationality <laughs> right <laughs> That's kind of comforting, actually, in a way like, oh, this is going to happen to me, but it's just going to happen to everyone much, much faster, <laughs> more frequently. So that's OK. <laughs> You're a boomer by the time you can ride a tricycle to this kid who just got born. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Much like how millennial means anybody, anybody young boomer just means anybody older than you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's all the time we have on Topic Lords. Tyreek, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? 
You can find me at 4Bit Friday on Twitter or anywhere else. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. It's all spelled out. Ryan, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, sure. I'm at Ryan Ike Composer on Twitter. Uh, boring. I know. But that, that's my handle now. And I, as of literally today, uh, evocative of the fact that I am a boomer to everybody 17 and under, I just got an Instagram. Uh, Ryan Ike Audio. <laughs> so if you want to hear about like stuff about the game industry and like how to break into game audio, that's the kind of stuff I'm doing there, you know, for the last uh, four hours and never before that. If you want to get on the ground floor of this bad boy. <laughs> All right. I'm going to follow you there. Heck yeah, I'm follower number six. <laughs> oh, shit. See? I missed out on my chance to be follower number six. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm given a... I, I have like a $10,000 cash prize for the first six, actually. So that's a real bummer for... You probably could have used that uh, for like your, the seed money for your next, like, for Frog Fractions. I could have put my kid through college with that money. Even clown college, like, it costs more than $10,000. Like, I was going to say, by the time your kid's college age, is college just going to be, like, infinite money? That's, uh, it's, it's going to go one way or the other, right? Go to, uh, infinity or to zero. Yeah. Both at once. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. It'll be like kids with kids with names A through M it will be infinity. And then N through Z will be zero because Z starts with zero. Is that first name or last name? Uh, that's also going to change based on your alphabet, <laughs> alphabet status. <laughs> <laughs> If your first name starts with an A, we sort by your last name. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.